Intelligent Threads, the most advanced wearable technology on the market. This revolutionary product releases engaged muscles holding your body out of structural balance. The results are legendary, improving posture, sleep, and relaxation while decreasing pain. Go to IntelligentThreads.com today for more info. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Jaime Cardenas Garcia. He's a visiting research scientist in the Department of Mechanical Engineering at University of Maryland. He's also a member of the Academy of Sciences of Ecuador. So we're going to talk about his work and what's called uh, info autopoiesis. So Jaime, thanks for coming. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, if you would, tell me a bit about your background and what is uh, in, Infoautopoiesis and what's your current research about? Well, I my background is in mechanical engineering, believe it or not. And of course, uh, I got my three degrees in mechanical engineering from the University of Maryland in College Park. And of course, I, I was in academia for, for many years. And after I retired, I um, became interested in exploring consciousness as a topic to begin with. And so after reading for a few years on a part-time basis, I found that consciousness was not a field that I wanted to be in, since it did not satisfy me as uh, something that would be worthwhile pursuing. And just by chance, I got involved in a, in a conference uh, related to languages. This was back in 2012. And uh, I attended the conference, and actually I was, I was part of a workshop. And, and I was introduced there to the field of biosemiotics. And I, I then started exploring that field. And it, the basis, I guess, bio is for life, and semiotics is for science. As you know, semiotics is a, is a large field of study where basically they, they, they study signs and what they mean uh, to human beings and how that's applicable in, in all that we do. And so to them, the fundamental basis for everything that we do is, is, is science. And of course, uh, there's a triadic process that, that, they, that they have with regard to examining science. But then I was also introduced uh, to autopoiesis, which uh, is uh, Umberto Maturana. He's a Chilean um, biologist. And so he had this perspective with regard to organisms. And so I started again reading, I guess, about biology and uh, cognition and philosophy and so on from these many perspectives. And as time went on, uh, I came up uh, with my own perspective, which is basically the field that I would like to say that has a future, which is info autopoiesis. Now, info is for information, auto is for self, and poiesis is production. 
So it's basically, it basically relates to the self-production of information by all living beings. So that's the oh, essence quick, quick, of the uh, infopoiesis, infoautopoiesis is. Okay, what are what are a couple of uh, quick examples of infoautopoiesis that will make people understand a little bit better? How can I, how do I create information, for instance? What's an example? Well, if you, most uh, scientists um, believe that information is in the environment. So, and, and this, I would say, it's more, more than 90% of all scientists believe this physicists, biologists, but that is not my perspective. And my perspective is that we are the ones that create information. And again, if you thinking just out loud as to, uh, we certainly, when we are in the womb, when we are a single cell, there's a certain kind of uh, information that we create from the biochemical environment that surrounds us. So again, the, the, the fundamental element is an organism in its environment. And so this organism, of course, interacts with its environment. And interacting with its environment, what it has to do it is satisfy its physiological and, and or relational needs. So therefore, it has to feed itself and satisfy other, other needs, uh, physiological needs that it has. When someone is born, when they're out of the womb, they need someone, humans, another human to take care of them. And so that's where a relational, I guess, that's where relational needs occur. Like what question? I'm I'm sitting outside and I'm looking at a tree and the, you know, the leaves are green and the trunk is brown. So am I creating that information that, you know, is the, are you saying like the tree is green because I'm saying it's green and I'm. I'm, I'm interpreting that information from what I see and the trunk is brown or, you know, what, what would well, this mean, this uh, self-generation of information? Well, the, the process, the learning process starts when we are a single cell in the womb. And so therefore, when we are out in the woods looking around, we already have engaged in a long process of learning. And so it's very difficult for us to say that whatever it is that we see is something that is that we just know what it is. And that, you know, and that's the easy way out. But in fact, everything that we know about our surroundings is something that we have learned over time. And also, if you are sitting in a room or even if you're sitting out in nature, most of what you see has been artificially produced by us. And, and that's another okay. aspect where everything that you have around you is in our world right now you know, in the 21st century is, is artificial in nature. I mean, if you, if you go outside to a forest, that's a forest that probably someone, uh, um, I guess, uh, organized it, designed it, organized it, uh, and planted the trees, uh, trails, everything else. And it's very rare to find something that is really natural. Another aspect of info-autopoiesis, it's one thing to identify things in the environment. It's another thing to create things for to satisfy to help us satisfy our physiological and or relational needs. So info autopoiesis involves both in, in terms of uh, cognizing our world, learning about our world, and identifying things in our world uh, in that process, but also building things. If you think about an organism in its environment, somehow 
let, let, let us say it's a primitive environment. Somehow it has to uh, get food from that environment in order to satisfy its needs. It has to, uh, in a sense, if, if the climate is a little bit cold, it has to be able to uh, obtain uh, clothing of some kind, you know. So again, all, all these things, all of this is a learning process. Intelligent Threads produces results within seconds of wear, tested over the past seven years for maximum effectiveness and quality of life improvements. Think about an 80% better REM and deep sleep per night. This revolutionary technology is the game changer everyone needs. Go to intelligentthreads.com today. Like if I see a, you know, I don't know, a, a dead rat laying on the road, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't say that's food, but if I'm a vulture and I see that, I go, ooh, that's food. So the same situation of a dead rat, I interpret it and the information I generate is like, oh, there's a dead rat, but a vulture would interpret it as something different. So does that, does that help explain what you're talking about or, or is that not relevant? Yes, uh, that, that's correct. Every, every living being, in a sense, uh, engages in this process of uh, self-generation of information for their own, uh, because each of us is different. Each uh, mm -hmm. uh, living being is different. And therefore, it's physiological needs, except, well, you, ha you have to eat. You have to obtain energy from somewhere. But, but in, in effect, uh, we, we engage in the same process of uh, self-generating information. And few people are, well, generally, people consider that it's very hard to define what information is. Some people say, well, information is what you read in the paper every day. And of course, uh, Claude Shannon and his concept of information, which, which he's a, really the father of um, digital communication. And so okay. uh, his, his uh, quest was to somehow uh, quantify the information so that you can transmit it in the most uh, effective way, either through the airwaves or through cables. Or, and again, this is the digital world that, in a okay. sense, he helped to, to promote. And this was in the in the 1940s, 1950s uh, time frame. But Gregory Bateson is the person that, I, well, I like his concept of, of information, which is simply information is a difference which makes a difference. And okay. uh, a lot of people like uh, just the, the sound of that definition, you know, information is a difference which makes a difference. But few people have really pursued, I guess, using it in any in any way uh, and i'm probably one of the few that has done that how are you yes. using this like how have you found this to be useful well first of all you have to say okay it's a difference okay so so it has to be a difference that we can identify right so it's either sound it's uh, either taught something remember we only have five senses that we can use uh, to detect these differences and so the first difference is a, it's a really a, a, a quantitative difference. So, it, of course, a sound has to be high enough so that we can hear it and slow enough also that, so that we can distinguish. And uh, then the second difference, a difference which makes a difference, is really a difference that means something to you for whatever reason. So... We're all experientially and also genetically different. So therefore, uh, we respond to a noisy environment. And, and really, what, what we have around us is a noisy environment. Mm. And then you have to ask that out of all that noise, we identify differences 
that make a difference to us. So one of the first things that we do is, for example, look for a, a nipple so that we can feed ourselves. Ourselves, You know, that is a difference right. that makes a difference to us. And so, again, uh, as you, I guess, learn about the world, trying to interpret the noisy environment that is around you, that you build up a, a repertoire of learnings with regard to what's around you. But always, it goes back to the five senses that you have and how it relates to the world around you. Let me say this. Um, motion is clearly uh, connected with this difference, which makes a difference. Because differences means there's some kind of dynamic in our environment that we are able to detect, and therefore the dynamic that is useful to us. And then once we detect that dynamic, then, then we, we take advantage of that and we learn from it. For example, if they, they put you in a chamber, basically an, uh, where there's no noise of any sort, and they just sit you in a chair and say, okay, we're going to leave you here for, for some time. Generally, for the most part, people cannot stay in that soundless chamber for more than mm -hmm. half an hour or so because they need the stimulation of, a, of an environment. And mm -hmm. this is true also of, of uh, actually, uh, you can become, uh, uh, I guess, uh, experience hallucinations in, mm -hmm. in a dark, soundless chamber. And also, like, there are those floating tanks, so they can put you in there and you can float. Yeah, and yeah. even your, even your, your, you know, your uh, uh, sense of touch uh, does not uh, uh, guess, experience yeah. anything. So, so well, like, um, so quick question here. I mean, what if we have more than five senses? Like, you know, our we're made up of trillions of bacteria, fungi, yeast, etc. So, our our cells have their you know five senses, but our cells themselves likely have different sensing mechanisms and a different senome than our whole body. And then the bacteria within us, they have their own senses, like chemotaxis, etc. So, can we? Are we using those abilities without even knowing it? the information produced by like the aggregate of all our gut bacteria or all our bacteria in our body. Is that con does that constitute perhaps a, an additional sense that we're either aware or not aware of? You're right. Generally, I, I talk about five senses simply not to, so as to not make uh, things complicated. But, but indeed, people do identify more than five senses. But what you will find in any of these senses, I mean, if, even if it's... Uh, one cell in our body, that cell needs information in order to, to do its job, which is basically to create proteins. Well, there's a biome in which, which is part of, of us. And again, uh, those, uh, I guess, cells uh, that are part of that biome, uh, again, have their own existence, which, and again, their existence is dependent on, on information, which is basically detecting a difference which makes a difference to them. And so, and, and again, the way that cells communicate within our body, again, has to do with information. But each cell has to create its own information. That's why we go back to the concept of info autopoiesis. And so, therefore, uh, we all living cells in that regard, we're all the same. We, we have to be able to create information within us to interpret our environment and therefore to help us succeed. Uh, in in uh, satisfying our physiological and or relational needs. So knowing that we generate our own information, what does that suggest to you? Like, 
Are you looking for ways to understand that or to control it or to, I don't know, I don't, I, like well, what would you do uh, with this information? Like how, how does, where does this take you intellectually? What are you thinking of figuring out regarding it? Well, he, here's the thing. Um, you, you can start analyzing, well, first of all, how inf information is created and, and you can develop uh, a model which uh, deals with how information is created. What you find is that there's inf when we create information, that is internal to us. So that is internalized information. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and also, it's information that has meaning only to us because no one can get into our head. And, and so you can call that semantic information, meaning, meaningful information to each okay. of us. Because each of us, you know, has, has their own way of, uh, let us say, giving meaning to our environment. Of course, that doesn't mean that we cannot agree between uh, people and, and thinking about the same things. But the way that you let people know that what you're thinking is that you externalize that semantic information. So that's why when I speak to you, I'm externalizing what's in my head which mm. the, the, what's in my head you don't have access to right. but what i externalize you do have access to and again i can make signs i can write i can play music etc etc et you know i can build a machine i can build a computer i can design electrical circuits i can design a transistor etc etc depending on, mm. on you know what my knowledge base is but all right. of that is external to me and that is what everybody else sees Okay. But each person that sees that syntactic information, when I speak to you, uh, what I'm speaking to you is syntactic information. It cannot capture all the richness of my semantic information that is within me, but, but that's uh, what you have access to. And then you have to interpret what I say to you. Because I, if I, I'm speaking in, in another language, you might not be able to understand what I'm saying, but you know that right. I'm talking, but you mm -hmm. can't understand me. And so, but even if I speak to you in English like I am doing now, you have to interpret what I am telling you because the, the way that you're internalizing that is through your five senses, five basic senses. And so there might be words that you haven't heard before, and so therefore you have to learn them to know what I'm talking about. But, but the key thing is that in everything inside us is semantic information, is meaningful information to us. Right. And everything that we externalize is syntactic information. So, and also anything that we build is syntactic information. Now, if we think about that, uh, that means that all scientific uh, findings all humanities, I guess, uh, learnings are syntactic information. They're syntactic in nature. So there's mm -hmm. nothing really. So what's fundamental is the self-production of information. Okay. And, and then this syntactic information can be either true or false. Of course, uh, people in the scientific fields examine whether your thoughts are, are uh, credible or not. And, and they, you know, they, they will have an opinion after testing through, a, let's say, the scientific method. But there's nothing sacred about the scientific method in the same way that 
you can spew uh, science, you can spew uh, whatever is in your head. And so, uh, and again, if other people accept what you're saying, then, you know, everybody's happy. I don't know if that uh, helps uh, clarify things. I mean, um, no, it makes sense what you're saying, but where, what do we do with this you know, self, self-produced information? Like, where do you think this should go or how, do, how is this going to affect science itself or people's relations or, you know, like one thing that comes to mind, you know, I got this from, again, Bill Miller Jr. is that, uh-huh. uh, he, you know, he says that since all cells and objects produce their own information, that's why we're, we're composed of trillions of cells and we're composed of trillions of bacteria because when all these creatures get together and they produce information, they can, I guess, double check it against one another, make sure that it's valid. So I guess it leads to like group behavior and group decision-making. But do you see that that's like a natural consequence of it? Or what are the consequences you see that come from this? Well, that would be one uh, natural consequence in the sense that all our cells in our body, for example, would have to communicate and agree on things so that we, you know, that we can, so that we can uh, act as a single human being. So, so that, that is true. Let me say this. You probably heard of, well, that people say that at one point in time, artificial intelligence will dominate the world, right? Right. Now, when artificial intelligence generally is based uh, on, on computations. Now, if you think about how computations came about, they are all syntactic creations. So whether it was the initial mathematics, whether then, you know, then the numerical developments and then the computers, all of those are syntactic creations. A syntactic creation can never engage in creating semantic information. So all our artificial creations will never be able to produce something that can generate semantic information like we do. What is, what is a, you know, just again, out of ignorance, what is semantic information? Semantic information is information that has meaning to you and me, uh, mm. but individually. Okay, so, I see. Because there is no see, you or me. The thing is not alive, the AI system. So it therefore is yes. impossible for it to create this uh, semantic information. Exactly, exactly. Because uh, the question is that a computer, what physiological needs does a computer have, you know, on its own? We, right. we certainly can, can identify our physiological needs and relational needs, but a computer or anything that we create, I, I don't care what it is. A computer can augment our senses, but it can never, um, I mean, it can even replace the front, or the, I guess the environment facing side of our senses, but it can never do any of the real interpretation that comes along with the sensing. So I guess exactly. it can only do certain well, parts, but not all. Yes. Well, uh, we create these uh, machines of different kinds for our, our own purposes. We know why we create them, but the machine the machine doesn't know that. Right. And uh, and of course, it gives us what the information that we want, it, because again, machines can create information. They can detect differences, which makes a difference to us not to the machine. And so so the point of these ideas is that with with simple concepts you can say quite a lot about mm. what what is going on in our world. And I'm probably maybe with Bill Miller that likes my conceptualization of 
in photopoiesis. Uh, there are very few people uh, that think like this. But this but, is like, a, it sounds like a, like a geometric proof. You know, like you're, you're proving essentially that two parallel lines could never intersect, it sounds like, in a way. You know, with this basic concept, that's like a very fundamental concept of living things can, can do info-autopoiesis, but non-living things can't. I guess that that's tells right. you all kinds of things that are possible or not possible. Yes, yes, yes. And, and that is one way of uh, saying, well, he, here's another thing. You know, physics and chemistry cannot prove, uh, cannot say anything about life, mm. right? Maybe the reason is that their info, well, they're actually syntactic creations. And syntactic creations clearly cannot say anything about life. So the, yeah, you know, physics sense. and chemistry cannot explain life. And yeah, I know science is all geared towards, it seems like assuming that physics and chemistry can explain everything. If you could just get enough detail, you can understand everything. But I guess you're saying that's never going to happen. It's not possible. That's right. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's syntactic information. It can never, with syntactic information, you can never create semantic information. Mm. I mean, basically, once we create something, it's basically dead and somebody has to come along and interpret it ever comes to life, but it'll come to life inside someone as semantic information. Mm, but it might, okay. Yeah, and, and the thing is that if somebody says no to you, well, says no in a crowd, that no can mean many different things to each individual person. <laughs> and true. so that, that's the interesting thing about language, you know, that it, it really uh, can, language can be interpreted in many different ways. And again, language is syntactic information. And so hmm. we, we always engage in this process of interpreting what's around us because someone can present to us an object which we've never seen before. Then, you know, either we play with it and find out what it's for or somebody tells us, look, this is for this. So, so again, that, that's hmm. the, the, I mean, with these very simple ideas, you can, you can actually uh, think about uh, things that, um, the, about so, um, gen, gen, so it, I think it's possible that AI may be able to produce, let's say, a nose or an eye that, again, no animal would have as good a version of. You know, it's possible, I guess, in the future. But again, the interpretation of the data it sees can only be done by, you know, intelligent living things. So I guess it, it sets like a fundamental limit on what's possible. Exactly. I mean, we, we certainly talk about artificial intelligence in a very, with a very broad uh, uh, stroke, you know, but if you start looking at, well, can, can cars drive themselves? Uh, you find that it's, it's a very difficult problem. And again, mm-hmm. as, as you start looking into, into general artificial intelligence, I would venture to say that uh, it, it's, it, it's not possible. And I think it'll never be possible. There's also, a, physicists also make the argument, I, I, I don't know if you've heard it, that basically we live in a universe that is a, that is a, a computation. We're part of a, a computation. Basically, they say the universe is a simulation. And who's now, the simulator? The way, who's the designer? Of it? Yeah. I don't think they have clear. But, uh, but the point is that if, if it is a simulation, let's assume that it is. Some, some, well, they, I'm sorry, they, they do say that an advanced civilization basically has created the simulation that we live in, right? right? And, uh, but, but still, the, the point is that if it is a simulation, it is all 
syntactic information. And therefore, you know, we would not be able to uh, at least say to us, uh, well, give meaning to the world around us. What's an example of syntactic information again? Um, what I'm speaking to you right now, that is syntactic information. If you, if you have okay. anything around you, is syntactic information. You but know, how could a non-living uh, system create syntactical information if you, know, you have to have a, an understanding of the syntax, an understanding of the, you know, the context as well? Well, we create. You have we to have an interpretation it. of it. Yeah. We, cre- okay. we, we, we are the ones that create that. Well, do, do non-living yet, things create syntactic information or they, they literally create nothing? They're just there and everything is done by us. Uh, well, uh, we have machines that that clearly create products for us under our direction, of course, because we've we've designed uh, them, built them, and made them work. Right. So right. those are syntactic creations that create other things, which are also syntactic in nature. So, but but mm-hmm. everything is under our direction. Right. But could a non-living thing create any information at all? It does it even does does it even create syntactic information or even that again requires a living thing to interpret and experience and by virtue of that that's what creates the information Ex- well exactly you there's let's say non-living thing that create can create a semantic information and and uh, uh, nor uh, syntactic information except if we created to do that so hmm. yeah so I mean it it, it can be um, um quite a quite an interesting thing so uh, i mean you can say information is not a fundamental quantity of the universe the majority of physicists think that information is a fundamental quantity of, of the universe in mm. addition to matter and energy i see um, and then information is in the environment because of our interactions with that environment otherwise okay. it does not exist in the environment. Our senses do not process information that exists in the environment, since there is no information in the environment. We, through from our sensorial signals that we, you know, we get from the environment, we transform that to meaningful information, to semantic information within us. And then, of course, we externalize it as syntactic information. And then uh, so we can, uh, so it becomes useful to us. So everything that you see around you, well, our language also is part of externalizing what's inside of us is syntactic information. Gotcha. So information um, is a result of info-oropoiesis, a processed inherent in living beings. Mm. And, Do you uh, think that all living beings are capable of this? Like even down to, uh, again, to bacteria? Like yes. where, where does it pop? What is the... The lowest well, quote-unquote life form you think that's capable of this? Well, th- think about this. The no one knows how life began on Earth, <laughs> and so think about the first living being that came about. What that living being had to do is detect a difference that makes a difference. Okay, and that is information. And so, therefore, the first thing that any living being did was create self-produce information to satisfy some need that it has that it had mm. Mm. And, and so so really that that's a concept of life uh, so information is life life is information in a sense 
And of course, there you can get into a cyber no, cybernetic notion of, of information. But, but again, uh, that, that requires uh, further e- explanation. Well, let, let's say like, um, I don't know, you and I, are, you know, you came over to my house and we're talking and I have, you know, dogs. And, you know, to us, the conversation is definitely full of information. But to the dogs, there's no information there. They, they just, you know, for the most part, don't care. Um, you know, if we're watching TV, I don't know, uh, The Masked Singer or something like that, you know, again, to the dogs, they don't even see it or acknowledge it. So this thing is there to us, you know, we're creating information about it. But to the dogs, the, there's, there's nothing for them to look at. You know, there's no information there for them. Right. So um, I don't know. What does that uh, tell you? Frame this uh, in another way. We imagine a, one circle where it's um, internalized information. And then imagine another circle that is, is externalized information. And of course, they, they, um, they um, I guess one is inside the other. You know, they, they uh, intersect, right? So let's say that is you. Now, imagine the same thing for someone else, you know, another, another living being, me. Uh, and again, I have a, a internal information and also I have external information with these two circles that intersect. Now, between us, we engage in, uh, we develop an intersubjective space, like we're doing in this conversation, where the two uh, circles related to externalized information, again, intersect from you Mm. and from me. And so that intersection is the things that we might agree on. And so that's an intersubjective space. That, that is, uh, in a sense, a shared universe that we need to develop in order for mm-hmm. us to be able to communicate. Now, right. you can view the dog as having a similar kind of two circles, you know, one for internalized information, the other one for externalized information. And, of course, dogs bark, and sometimes with good reason. Or they, they do react to some of the things that we say, yeah. or maybe some of the things that we do. So, so again, we, we have an intersubjective space with the dogs. There's overlap, but there's dog domain that we can't experience, like what they smell, you know, or what they see with their barks or, you know, their body language. And then there's our domain where they can't interpret either because it's too alien. Right. But, but there might be a domain where we, we both can understand each other. Yeah. So, uh, but, but, but it's useful to look at it in terms of these circles. You know, for internalized information, externalized information, we find each other in the externalization of information. And that's where we develop, let's say, a common universe. So, for example, we speak the English language. You know, we might share uh, some ideas with regard to baseball or football or whatever. So, so that this is the intersubjective space that, that in, that you develop in actual practice, you know, when we meet someone. And, And again, the more, the common things that you have, probably the, the greater, uh, I guess, uh, the, the more you like a person. So uh, in, in this intersubjective uh, space that you, that you can develop. So, okay. so the, the analysis using information is very um, interesting. And, and also, I think it's much more fundamental than, than uh, semiotics is. And that's something I, that I still will need to write about. But um, hmm. Okay. But again, few people <laughs> share this perspective at the moment. Um, no, that's okay. People... I mean, what 
if, if people if more people did have this perspective, how would it change scientific inquiry in your estimation? What would it do? Well, first of all, uh, let's say with regard to artificial intelligence, people would say, okay, general inter- artificial intelligence is not possible. Let's look at this from the perspective of what is possible. And so maybe okay. the, the field uh, would change. Because if somebody tells you, look, uh, we've shown that uh, this is impossible, then you have to change the way that you think about something. Right. And, and, okay. and find other ways of, of approaching the problems that you want to solve. So, okay. so again, uh, let, let me also say something. Uh, people talk about DNA having information, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe that that's the case. And if it is the case, it's it's information that that cells have created for themselves. So, you so don't think in it's a like, sense, uh, I mean, you know, I guess you know, DNA is instructions. Of course, that's. I mean, we don't really have to interpret it. It just kind of happens. But I mean, I guess DNA is a tool of a cell, but I don't know who's to say it contains information or not. I don't know. I mean, the the cell functions. So in a way, like, I guess the cell is using the information in the DNA for its own purposes. So could you say there's information there then? Well, the, the way that I would look at it is uh, in the same way a cell is, um, let's say, us as a single entity <laughs> right so therefore there there are signals that enter the cell and those signals basically are to say to the cell why don't pro- why don't you produce this kind of a protein so yeah. a cell is, so, is is i i say it's somewhat like a, let's say a brick factory but a brick factory that produces all kinds of bricks, you know, red, green, yellow, whatever, sizes, shapes. Uh, and so uh, the, the thing that is inputted is the, the order. You know, I need five bricks of this kind, mm. and then six bricks of this kind. And the, the, the factory is so, uh, let's say, um, uh, um, versatile that it, it can produce uh, all these kinds of bricks, and uh, basically those are all the all the proteins that our cells are capable of producing. Right, and um, and so that's how I view a a cell. You know, like like a brick factory that makes bricks uh, at a moment's notice, given the inputs, the orders to the brick factory. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, so you know, so, obviously a cell is alive, but in your estimation, is a cell intelligent? Does it have cognition? Well, I would say it has cognition, yes. And I would say the, the, maybe the DNA, what it is, it's a biochemical drain of sorts. What do you, what do you mean a drain? What do you mean a drain? A brain or a drain? Brain, brain, yes. Brain. Oh, brain, okay, sorry. sorry. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> My brain wasn't working. I apologize. <laughs> no, no. My sometimes, as you know, my language <laughs> does not convey the syntactic information that it should. Right? Yeah, it's okay. okay. Huh. So, um, so, all right. So, you believe then that cells and do bacteria have their own level of cognition? Uh, do you think all living uh, things do, or no? Does it stop somewhere? All, I I would say all living things are. Hmm. Um, well, produce um, engage in a process of info autopoiesis, and so therefore, um, uh, I mean, however basic that process is for generating information, it exists the, in a complex body like ours. Um, you, um, I guess, uh, 
these uh, cells have to communicate. And the communication is, you know, the channels are, are very uh, extensive and uh, far-reaching. And that's the only way we, we would work, I, since we're not aware of most of the things that go on inside our body anyway. And so, but I, I mean, I, I think even the, however, well, people like to talk about, you know, uh, different levels of living beings. I, I, I say that all living beings basically have the, should be seen as the, as the same thing. Uh, each response to, to, I guess, process of life they have had, you know, the, their evolution. But, yeah. but again, at, at one point in time, we also were, were a single cell, right? And so we, we evolved from that. We, we became much more complex in terms of many cells interacting, but we, we never really get away from that initial single cell, even though, of course, we, we, we are more, uh, say, evolved, which doesn't mean better uh, organism. Mm, okay. So it's... Um, okay. Well, very good. So um, from, I mean, what, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go to... to you know, read your papers and interact, etc. Uh, pro- well, the the um, best way is simply to go to a website such as ResearchGate or even academia, academia.edu. They will find most of my papers there. So people can so, put in your full name and then they'll be able to find the info. Exactly. I mean, even if they Google my name, probably they will be directed to some of these uh, websites. Okay. All right. Well, very good, Jaime. Uh, you know, thank you for coming on the podcast. I know it's a difficult subject, but it's interesting that you're looking at this because, again, very few people are considering it. So I think it's excellent, and I'm glad I spoke with you. I appreciate that, uh, Richard. I, I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you, and I'll be glad to speak with you in the future if you <laughs> feel so inclined. Well, I'll try to generate some more uh, question-based information for you for next time, but definitely. Yeah. Intelligent Threads is like no other product on the market true next-level biotechnology to help fix root cause issues associated with your body's structure. Try a patch, last for seven days, and see for yourself. IntelligentThreads.com For one or more discussions on Intelligent Threads, please listen to the podcast called It's a Body Structure Thing on Spotify and YouTube. Visit IntelligentThreads.com today. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.